Well, good evening, everyone. Um, yes, we're supposed to be going through a little bit the book of Corinthians, the first letter of Corinthians. There are two letters in the New Testament that um, deal with the church, particularly Paul's letters, that is. Uh, One of them is the letter that he wrote to the church at Ephesus. And the other one is the first letter of Corinthians. And as you will all appreciate, that he was an apostle of God, that he had been sent from God into these places and had actually, you could say, pioneered, that be the language that would be used nowadays, those two churches among others. And you all appreciate that the church is a miracle. Did you realize that the church is a miracle. That it was something, or it is something, that existed in the mind of God from the beginning, but was not revealed. There are little allusions to something in the Old Testament. But the first mention uh, that Jesus made about it, that he, I will build my church. Now you could reflect on that phrase of Jesus, one word at a time. And if you were to meditate on one word at a time in that phrase you would find that everything is contained there. That is from the mind of God. I. I. Not you. I. For instance uh, Perhaps you know a chorus that says, um, And as we worship, build your throne. That's not good doctrine at all. Um, The throne is. The throne of God is. Um, There are many things that we sing, unfortunately, that should go through the grid of good theologians. And because unwittingly, many people are singing error. But I, and then will, when Jesus said it, of course, it was future. I will. It's not future now, it's present. 
church is present. But then when he said those words in Matthew 16, I will build, build my church. Do you know in the Bible where the first use of the word build is? I wonder if you know, because it gives you a clue about church um, in, in its forward look. It's, uh, it's very interesting. Build. God building. God was the first builder. And if you were to look carefully in Genesis 2, you have an immediate clue. God, and uh, it says that from the man he took a rib and builded the woman. That's the actual word in the Hebrew. He builded the woman. You know, we used to sing a hymn a long while ago. It uh, had a, a verse like this. It says, "'Twas not a useless rib he took, but his own blood he shed, and water flowed from which he built his bride. You see, uh, uh, I'm throwing these things out, not getting to 1 Corinthians yet. <laughs> um, but you see, these things are fundamental things. I will build my church. And just as the woman came out of the man, the church comes out of Christ doesn't come out of the expertise of teachers, musicians, evangelists, and so on and so on. Uh, it doesn't come from there. It's builded by the activity of Jesus. I will build my church. He's busy doing it today. Do you know, um, at midnight last night, I started a meeting on Zoom. I've been doing it regularly. Other people have been setting it up. And I was speaking to people from uh, China, Afghanistan, Cyprus, the United States, Canada, Mexico, and these people do not, many of them do not know one another. Uh, there are so many people coming in on this meeting. It finished at 2.30 this morning. For me, ideal time for them in the States and Canada because it's Saturday, late afternoon and evening, depending what part of the States. And in China, it's early morning for the Afghanistan people. It's right in the middle of the night for them, but they're getting up. And the thing that is 
is really challenging me about this is the sense of camaraderie, of fellowship, of oneness among people who've never met. To me, that Zoom meeting, week by week as I do them, is a proof that the Lord Jesus is building something. Um, This morning, I was in touch with people in Ireland. And the testimony there that in the midst of what is happening in society, there is something stirring in some people. The Lord is building something. He's working. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. It's also difficult because Zoom isn't everything and some of you will have heard of a man named John MacArthur an 81 year old evangelical minister from California who's been taken to court because they are meeting they are gathering 7,000 in his church and uh, he said I didn't do this I started off by just preaching to an empty church and, uh, and it, it was, you know, electronically, anybody who wanted, uh, and he said, then people began to come back. And I got up to speak as usual in the, uh, you know, in the empty auditorium and people were sat there. I came into the auditorium and there were people there. We had, Some of them are using masks, some of them are not. And so it it went on. But there is an appetite, apparently, there in, um, what's the area of it? I can't remember the area where he is. But, uh, yes, California, but I can't remember what part. Um, And uh, it's part of uh, Orange County where he is. But there's a hunger, there's an appetite And on the other hand, I find some people whose interests are dying. It's rather comfortable to play golf rather than bother to go in online to a meeting. A sifting is already beginning to happen. But we must keep clear in mind, I will build... And he's doing it now, whether there is opposition and difficulty and virus and this and that and the other. It does not impede him building. I will build my church. All these things actually have a bearing, for instance, because one of the Perennial problems in the church is built around the word my. Because pastors begin to think it's mine. Or the musicians begin to think it's mine. The amount of pastors that I have met in many countries of the world whose most problems come from their musicians in their congregations. Because they think it's 
my church, it's our church, for 50 minutes. Jesus said, it's my church. It doesn't belong to the musicians, and it doesn't belong to the Pope. And it doesn't belong to the Presbyterian, it doesn't belong to the Baptist Union. These are fundamental things forgotten. Or given uh, assent to, but in practice not lived. Ownership of the church is a perennial problem. It's Jesus' church. I will build my church. Church, everyone here knows the word, don't you? I'm sure everyone here knows the word ecclesia. Ecclesiastical. Ecclesia. Ecclesia, the Greek word for call. Ek, the preposition for out. But in its use in those days, Hallelujah. It did not just mean called out. It meant called together. Called out to be called together. I will build my church. I'll call them out. And I will bring them together. And they will be mine. Very wonderful. That's enough. Now I can sit down. That's enough to keep you thinking and meditating. Do you know, it is wonderful to have a beginner's mind. Do you know, in order to go on with God, you've got to have a beginner's mind. A beginner's mind is a childlike mind a teachable mind, a humble mind, a mind that is ready to relearn. You see, if we're adults, you know we haven't got a beginner's mind, have we? Uh, We've already learned stuff. So we've got to be emptied to have a beginner's mind. And so you come to this wonderful theme of this mystery that was hid right the way through the centuries, not known to the Jews, uh, not known to them. You know, it was not known. They, uh, The worst of the Jews, of course, thought that they were the elite. And uh, they were God's elite. Some people still have that idea. Though Paul's writings about the church, say in the book of Romans, are sufficient to indicate to us, we come from a wonderful root. We come from a wonderful root. Can you tell me where Father Abraham, who is the father of us all, Can you tell me where he was rooted? Was he called out? 
out of her of the Chaldees went an elderly man. What was he up to that time? He was a pagan. He was not a Jew. He was a pagan. And he was a pagan who was called out by God. The God of glory appeared to him. And that man started the adventure of faith. Going after God. And I want to say to us all very clearly that if we are not prepared to adventure, we will not get far in the things of God. You've got to pursue the grail. That is Christ. Got to go after him with all your heart. And Abraham went after this God of glory that appeared to him. And we don't even know how the God of glory appeared to him. We don't know whether it was vision, whether it was dream, whether it was words he heard. We, we have no idea because the mechanism is not the important thing. It's the reality that God spoke to him and came to him. And this God that came was so glorious that this glorious God caused every idol and everything in the world to pale into insignificance. It was like it was nothing. And he went out. Amen. And he was a man who passed over out of the Euphrates round. Amen. It's so wonderful. Dear Abraham. And... uh, Steps of faith that he took. And you remember that he was a man whose being became rooted in God. He became rooted in God. And Paul actually takes up this theme in Romans. And he says, you Jews, my my." My, 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 my people, after the flesh, you are a branch. You are a branch. And because of your unbelief, you were broken off. And into the tree was grafted the Gentile branch. Hallelujah. That's you and me. Most of us in the room probably are Gentiles. And uh, we were grafted in to that Jesus who's rooted right there in his Father. And we receive our sustenance And the life of the church comes from that root of God the Father through God the Son, by God the Spirit. And uh, I'm putting this in these, in these ways. And you Gentiles, don't you get bold about this and arrogant. Because if you go into unbelief, you'll be broken off. God 
is able to graft again the natural branches, the Jews. And one day there will be such a move among them. And so, isn't it wonderful? This is why Paul had this revelation in this body, this church of Christ. There is no male nor female. There is no bond nor free. There is no Jew nor Gentile. Christ's all. You see, this is the way Paul thinks. My church. And it comes out of his side. So, let's go into Uh, thinking a little bit more about this. Some of us, a few of us, have been praying for these meetings and for this area. Some of us have been praying for this area for some years. That God will raise up churches and cause them to flourish. And uh, some of us have been praying recently and it's intriguing to listen because occasionally in a prayer time perhaps one of the persons is quickened to read a scripture and it comes to them you know when I hear someone read a scripture like that in a time when you're waiting on God why Lord Did you lay that scripture on his heart? Why did you do that? What are you saying to us? We're praying about these meetings. You know there have been three scriptures read out in the last three or four weeks. One of them is a scripture from uh, a psalm. Um, Psalm 84. You may know it. One of the Old Testament pictures of the church. You may know about it. I'd rather spend a day in your courts, Lord, than a thousand spent elsewhere. It's a lovely psalm. It's a very, you know, I could preach for it right now because these things are very living to me. Another psalm that was read out to us was the one that has a line in it like this. It's all about walking around Zion. You know, Zion, Jerusalem, is an Old Testament picture of the church. Walk around Zion. Consider her her bulwarks. Look what a marvelous city she is. It's a picture of the church. And that was read out to us. Another scripture that was read out was Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel 37. Do you know Ezekiel 37? Um, It's all about bones. It's all about bones. Hallelujah. You know, these prophets were fiery men. They had fire in their hearts, lit by God's Spirit. Let me throw this out to you about the book of Ezekiel. Jerusalem 
is failing miserably. It, they are a people trusting in the temple. They have false trust in God and in their nation and their position. Already some of them have been hauled off to Babylon in captivity. They'd been warned. They'd been warned. And there's a rather elderly prophet prophesying in Jerusalem at the time whose name is Jeremiah. And you know, Jeremiah is a wonderful man. He, he, if, he, you know, do you mind me throwing a lot of stuff out to you? Um, but you read Jeremiah's prophecies and uh, read them in his conversations with God. He had a heap of conversations with God. They begin in chapter 1. Not me, Lord. (laughs) Not me. Uh, And they go on like that. And sometimes he says to God, Oh, why? Why did you give me such hard words? I love my people. My heart is breaking. And, uh, you know, the Lord says to him, well, if you can't, uh, you know, just walk at this pace, how are you going to run with the horses, Jeremiah? Now, get on with the job, (laughs) basically. And he prophesies, and then Jerusalem falls. The old falls. And as the old falls... Jeremiah prophesies like this and he says God says through him I'm going to make a new covenant I'm going to write my laws on people's hearts no more tablets of stone in the hearts of people I'm going to do that and uh He prophesies newness. Simultaneously, hundreds of miles away in Babylon, there's a young prophet. And his name is Ezekiel. And he's been dumb. Occasionally his mouth had been open, but he'd been dumb. A prophet who was dumb. How about that? Just... Abel, his mouth was opened occasionally and to speak judgment. And then news comes to him from Jerusalem. Jerusalem's fallen, the temple's gone. It's finished, the old is finished. And his mouth opens. And he prophesies, chapter 36. Chapter 36. I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. New things. So simultaneously to the people already in captivity in Babylon, fear not, the old is ended but only so that the thing I've been aiming at all the time, new heart, new spirit, that's 36 of Ezekiel. 
And then the Lord says to him in 37, Now you go down in that valley. And uh, he went down in the valley. And he saw all these dry bones scattered everywhere. Which is just about the state of the nation when John the Baptist began to prophesy. Hundreds of years later, around about 590 years later, to be precise. And the state of the nation was like a load of dry bones. Now, I'm sure everyone in the room knows the prophecy of chapter 37 of Ezekiel. But John Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, sent into the world at the fullness of time. Hallelujah, the Lord Jesus came And John Baptist led the way and he came into a valley of dry bones. That was what the nation had become. You say, but there was this one and that one and the other one who were looking for the Messiah. Looking, yes, you're right. But there was no cohesion. There was no body. There was nothing like that. They were all scattered. And God said to Ezekiel, Now you prophesy, Ezekiel. So Ezekiel began to speak to the bones. Amen. How about it, some of you preachers? Yes, sometimes they're like a bunch of bones. (laughs) you know preach it preach we only ever preach what God has put in our heart worthwhile that's all that's worthwhile anyway ah, Ezekiel began to prophesy and there was a shaken I remember preaching this in uh, on this chapter in Germany a long while ago and uh, in German it's uh, the Gnocken Benocken or something or other I can't remember what it is in Germany but the bones all start coming together and the way it sounds in German the whole congregation was laughing their heads off at the way (laughs) but anyway the bones started to connect bone to his bone under the word of the Lord. What do you think Jesus was doing for three and a half years? He was fulfilling the Ezekiel prophecy. He was speaking to the bones. And they were beginning to come together. Peter Bone, come here. Paul, um, uh, Andrew Bone, come here. He didn't have to call a lot of the lady bones because they followed anyway. And so the bones gathered and gathered and gathered and gathered for three and a half years. He gathered them. But it wasn't enough because there they were. You know, oh, fearful 
those major bones we could call the apostles, those major bones, they'd been gathered together, but they had no breath in them. And you know what the Lord said to Ezekiel. We know that our Lord Jesus rose up, ascended up on high, and all those bones were waiting on the day of Pentecost. They'd been gathered by the word of the Lord Jesus. They'd been gathered to his voice. They'd been gathered to his shape. And they'd been gathered to his will. They'd been called out together. Amen. And then God said to Ezekiel in that Old Testament prophecy, Speak to the breath. Spirit. Ruach. Speak to the breath. Spirit. And he began to prophesy to the breath. And the breath came. And these bodies that had been laying there, these gathered bones clothed with flesh and sinew that were not yet breathing, now the breath entered into them. What a picture. And on the Pentecostal day, that's what happened. The church was born on the Pentecostal day, historically on earth. People who'd been gathered to the word of the Lord, gathered because they had jettisoned everything else and they'd saw the, seen the failure of everything. They were captivated by Jesus' word and they were inbreathed from heaven. That's how churches are born. That's how they're born. And if God be not working... You say, well, does it mean hundreds? Not necessarily. Does it mean five? Very possibly. Does it mean fifty? Does it mean five thousand sometimes? Yes, sometimes. But I tell you, there's a lot of people around who have come under a word and have been joined together under a word. But they've never been inbreathed by God's Spirit. And you've got to be inbreathed. The church is not a society of people all agreeing on the same ideas biblically. The church is a living, vital, breathing being. It's the creation of God. And I don't know how many of you have lived through a time where you have seen that happen. We saw that happen down there in Australia. 
Years ago when the word of the Lord began to sound out and the bones began to gather and the sinew came up and the spirit came and there was a resurrection life. There was something like that happened to some of us in Exeter way back in the 70s. It was small, but it was just what I've described. An action of God. People coming under his word. They were not interested in whether they were guitars, pianos, music, this, that and the other. They were hungry for Jesus. And that's one of the big differences. We've slidden away this last 20 or 30 years. What began in the spirit slidden away. And these are serious things. So let's go into 1 Corinthians. Let's corroborate some of what I have said from Paul. You know, I suppose we ought to begin with what happened in 18 of Acts, didn't we? In the, you're right, Acts 18. That's where you find the beginning of the church. Uh, Paul, and it's, it's very wonderful. I find it wonderful. You know, Paul had been in Athens. Um, can I throw this out to you? For something for you to think about. You know that the main thing that Jesus came to do was not to save you and me. The main thing he came to do was to be faithful to his Father and his Father's will, which was his will. Jesus came to be the faithful witness to God and to God's heart. And Jesus knew that it was God's heart to deal with sin. And deal with Satan. And deal with darkness. Once and for all. But first, he came to be faithful to God. I like chapter 17 of Acts because it records something of the speech that Paul gave in Athens among the the talkers. You know, the expert expositors, the, the philosophers and so on. And I find the Apostle Paul standing up and being a faithful witness to God. First. The God who made us all. You can read it. You can read his message. And he declares God. God's ownership. God gave you breath. He's made of one breath. 
all mankind and has commanded their divisions in you understand this is the way Paul began then he gets to Jesus then he gets to Jesus just the same you will find when Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2 and he stands up and the eleven are with him there's a unity and it's almost I can imagine this I've actually seen this uh, we had a Baptist pastor who used to be a missionary in, in Japan uh, he came to our church um, back where we were up in Reading and uh, he'd been invited to preach at our church and it came for time for his preaching and he stood up and three young men stood up alongside him and he said we are going to preach this morning these young men I thankfully didn't use the word mentor um but, you know, these young men and I, they, they want to preach. They, they want to bring the word of the Lord. And so I meet with them every week. And when I'm invited to preach, I bring them with me. And we decide on a section of scripture we're going to preach. So, this young man is going to start off. Let's call him James. And so the scripture was read out and James spoke for ten minutes and then Andrew, let's call him Andrew, the next one, developed it more and the other one developed it and then the old Baptist minister. And I tell you, there was a weight in the word because of its corroboration where these men, young and old, were agreed. Agreed. Nothing much is going to happen unless there's deep agreement in hearts. That's why the devil is an orchestrator of division and gossip if ever he can. Anything to divide. He's afraid of true unity. But uh, Paul spoke, gets to Jesus. Peter's standing up on the Pentecostal day. You know, everybody's saying, everybody's drunk. No, they're not drunk. Peter stands up with the eleven. And then there's, there's that solidarity. I can almost imagine Bartholomew and all the others saying, Amen, Peter, we agree with you what you're saying. He's the spokesman. But, Amen? The agreement, the word is coming forth. And Peter starts with God, not Jesus. In that message. Starts with God. They don't like to retain God in them. I'm quoting Romans 1. They don't want God. They don't want God. So they can't have the Savior. That's the thing. 
You and I are called to be witnesses unto God. What have you got of God in your life? What have I got of God in my life that I know that God called me? And I, that leads me in to chapter 18 where, you know, the church in Corinth begins. Paul starts there in the synagogue, he finds Priscilla and Aquila, or in verse 2, he arrives in this place, and he was of the same trade, verse 3, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers, workers in leather, tents were made of leather. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit. There's that wonderful solidarity. Timothy had come. Silas had come. Somehow their presence buttressed Paul and it was time to declare and to speak the unity of the brethren. The unity of the brethren. Don't bother to have prayer meetings unless you are agreed. Unless your faces are open. We went up a few months ago during the lockdown. We said to Malcolm Ford up there in Rora, can we come up and see you, my wife and I? Can we come up and see you, Malcolm? Phone's not enough. Well, it was a lovely sunny day. Yeah, come on up. We, we meet outside and we met outside and there was Malcolm's daughter there. I think Bill was there and we sat together, the five or six of us. You know, and after we'd finished our hour or two's fellowship and prayer, got driving home, my wife said to me, that was true fellowship. Nothing between. Nothing between. Amen. There was nothing between Paul, Silas, Timothy. They were agreed. And this released the word. Paul was compelled in the spirit to declare, Amen. You know what to expect, don't you? Bones start to gather. Bones start to gather. This isn't seeker-friendly. This isn't preaching a prosperity gospel. This isn't pleasing the flesh. The gospel is not invitation it is command God commandeth all men everywhere to repent these are 
If we want to see real church that's going to stand when the oppositions rise. I had contact in Ireland today. Asked if I would do some preaching on Zoom again over there. And the brother said to me, will you pray for us? This week it's going public. He runs a business and he refuses to put up advertising. It's a marriage business. Same-sex marriages. There is no such thing as same-sex marriage. There is no such thing, biblically. It's a figment of men's minds and women's minds. It's a figment. There are just liaisons, not marriage. Marriage is sacred. These are things, but Paul, the solidarity. We're going to rise and move into times, brothers and sisters, where some of you will lose your jobs if you've still got one, because you'll be faithful to God and not what the boss says, because he wants you to twist this and do that and accommodate this and accommodate that. Get ready! And we're going to have to have such a, an awareness of the Lord and who he is and that we're under his command which is the outflow of his love. You know why God commands you, don't you? And commands me because he loves us. Because we, he knows that if we commit adultery, it'll destroy us. He loves us, so he says, thou shalt not commit adultery. And in the new covenant, gives us the power not to do so. Not to succumb to temptation. Gives us the power, the enabling, and changes our desires so that we don't want to. We don't want to steal and do Whatever, but Paul, he was compelled in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, you know, homosexuality is blasphemy against God. It's blasphemy. You see, because man is made in God's image. And when man tampers with God's image in himself, it blasphemes God. They blasphemed, inevitably. This is the kind of confrontation. Do you know one of the things that Billy Graham wrote in a book called Storm Warning? Maybe I mentioned this before to you. Uh, or some of you. He wrote the book in about 1994. It's based on on the book of um, Revelation chapter 6, the four horsemen. And he's looking forward and he's warning of the storm. And he revised the book in 2009. And on page 73, he wrote this. As I look back on my ministry, I wonder 
if I made it all too easy. If I made it all too easy. What a thing for that man. I've always loved to hear his voice. I was privileged in Chicago last year to go around the museum, you know, that is dedicated to his ministry. And it it really stirs your heart. My father came back to God at a Haringey crusade in 1953 or thereabouts I can remember him taking me there just a kid but oh man does something but Billy Grahams wrote that you see the gospel isn't invitational it's the commandments of a loving God that says leave your sin come to me and you know inevitably people will say do you know Jesus died to take away the sin of the world that's what John Baptist said wasn't it do you remember him preaching that behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world what's the sin of the world one sin from which all other sins come out They develop from. The sin of the world is summed up in this one phrase. We will not have God to reign over us. That's the sin of the world. That's where everything comes from. And if you read your Bible carefully, Romans chapter 1, you will read there where it says that they should believe the lie. God gave them up that they should believe the lie, singular. What's the lie? The lie from which all lies spring. God is not God, you are. That's the lie. I am God. I organize my own life. I do as I please. I have free will. Is your will free enough at this point to go out and buy a Ferrari? You know the nonsense we talk about having a free will. We're all in bondage. (laughs) We all have restrictions. You know this is why when Paul began to speak some of them blasphemed. That's what it says. And I know it's true. (sighs) He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered into the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord, that's Jesus, with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Verse 9, 
Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Now God doesn't waste words. Anyone here of you preachers and people, perhaps all of us, who suffer from fear, get a bit afraid sometimes. I still do. You know, (laughs) the Lord said to him, do not be afraid. God doesn't waste words. Paul, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But speak and do not keep silent. I'll give you a clue about entering in to the things of God more deeply, more deeply. And it's this. Let your ear hear your mouth confessing the things that you believe and are not yet fully in the possession of. You know that you have failed. You know this. You know that about yourself. Can let your mouth confess. Oh God, Lord Jesus, you died to make me clean. And I come to you, I confess your work in my heart. And I'm set Let your ear hear your mouth. Praying. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Sometimes some of us have had to preach through the voice of the devil. Sitting on our shoulder. Saying what about this? Bernard, what about that? Sitting on your shoulder, it doesn't in any way invalidate what God has done, God's love. I'm not encouraging any form of hypocrisy here. You've got to know that your whole heart is set after God, though your experience hasn't fully caught up with all that he's done for you. It will. No, it won't. Ever. You know, our experience will never catch up with all the bounty that he has done. But we can go after it. You understand me? There's always more. Always more. Always more. Always more. There's always more for someone who's pushing 76 Always more. More of God. Do you know, one of the first things when I woke up this morning was a text from a, from a lady and she said, Ian passed into the presence of the Lord at 3.40 this morning. Five weeks ago, we were up in their home in Wincanton and had a meeting. He wasn't even ill. And we broke bread together and had communion together and had a lovely 
meeting of fellowship together. And then a, a couple of days later, in the doctors, his body's riddled with cancer, didn't even know. Five weeks later, he's gone. Amazing. Amazing. And uh, so my first responsibility was to write to his widow and say, Oh, oh dear sister, tis a gateway. It is a beginning, not an end. That's what death is, you see. One thing to say, and Bernard to write it in a uh, SMS, but you know, oh, but it's true nevertheless, and one day you will prove it, and I will prove it. My mother sitting there beside her in the hospital, and she's dying, she said, Bernard, you will stay with me, won't you? And I said, of course, mum, holding her hand, I'll be with you to the end, mum. This is a gateway, it's a doorway to the face of Jesus. And she peacefully went. See, these things are yet for us to prove. We're alive here, but we'll be more alive then. That's the thing. Hallelujah. But there's always more. You're older in years. There's more for you, brother. More for you, sister. More. More of him. That's the thing. And Dear Paul, don't be afraid. <laughs> Do not be silent. Speak, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. What a lovely thing for the Lord to say. I have many people in the Tin Valley. I have people. I've sent you there to be my spokesperson, to call them. Amen. Open your mouth. Let the bones begin to be gathered. Amen. And I'll do the rest. I'll make sure they're gathered. Amen. And they will be in-breathed. I'll breathe from heaven into them. Paul, you can't breathe into them. You can't give them the breath. You can't. No man can. It is the Father who begets and no one else. He uses others. But it's the Father who begets by the Spirit. Isn't that right? I have much people in this city, how often I've sat down and looked at that verse and think, Lord, you, you've got people in this city. 
because I've been very blessed to go to so many quarters, so many countries. You know, hallelujah, and he's got people. It's, you know, I remember the first time I went to Ibiza. Do you mind a reminiscence? What's the time? What does it say? Sorry? Quarter past eight. So what have I been speaking for an hour? Um, when I first went to Ibiza, it was amazing. It was a commune. It was a time when God was beginning to move. In, um, in, uh, in Spain. And uh, I, I found myself amongst this bunch of young people that all lived together. A couple of married couples. And they just wanted to have meetings all day long. They were so hungry. And um, it was very interesting to me. Because I observed uh, in the morning meeting, this lady, this girl, had this dress on. Then in the afternoon meeting, she didn't have that dress on. Someone else had that dress on. And they they were sharing everything in common. And uh, including the clothes. I won't go into all the stories. Some of them lived in caves. There are caves on Ibiza and virtually every one of them had come out of drugs and so on. And uh, How did I get there? However did I get there? Well, a couple were on holiday in Ibiza and their tour guide was a man named Guillermo, William in English. Guillermo. He spoke French and Spanish and also English. He was their tour guide. They found that he'd just become a, he was a new believer. And they, they said, oh, we've got some cassettes of a friend of ours preaching. And they gave these cassettes. And he listened and he wrote, would you come? This group is coming into being. We don't know what we're doing. Will you come? And I went, and through that, all those years ago, the, the Father was gathering a people together. Amen? He was calling out a people, uh, Spanish young people in Ibiza. Do you know what it led to? It led to little churches in virtually every San Rafael, San Antonio, all the different towns, little churches came into being through the years. There had never been a church. And I'll tell you another thing of the story. One of the days, several years later, Guillermo by this time had met an old, old gentleman. And this old gentleman, he lived up in the hills in a house with no electricity, no running water. It had a system where he would gather the water, the rainwater that would last him. And he lived very simply. I'll, I'll take you up to see him. And I went up to see this man. And he was an old, old man. And Guillermo interpreted for me. And I... I 
tell me your story, brother. And he said, I come from the brethren. He said, I was in the brethren. I lived in uh, Barcelona. My wife died. My wife died. I was old. And I would walk down on on the uh, beach and I would look out over the islands, to the islands. And God put such a burden in my heart to pray, to pray for the islands. And I began to pray. And then the Lord said to me, I felt in my heart, I'd got to go and live here. And I'd been living here in this place for 10 years. And I'd been praying that God would raise, because there was no church in Ibiza. Only Roman Catholic places, but no church. And he said, I I prayed and, and prayed and prayed and prayed. And ask God. <laughs> and he said, once a month I come into Ibiza town and one day I met this young man, Guillermo. And he told me there are people. And all my prayers, I began to see God at what was working. You see, keep not silent, whether it be by prayer as this gentleman, this elderly gentleman, Wonderful God's ways. And we find out we're just a little cog in the machine. I was just a little cog that, uh, you know, the couple on their holidays were a cog in the machine. Am I making sense? I have much people in this city. I could go on like this talking about countries and places. Today I was in touch with a man in Africa. Some of you will have met him. His name is Blasius. I remember the time when I first met him as a young, young boy of about 18. And I was preaching in this large congregation, a thousand or fifteen hundred people. And I'm in the middle of my preaching and the person's interpreting into, it was Francophone area, into French. And suddenly this young man walks up the aisle like this, interrupts everything, and he pointed up at me and he said to me, I want what you've got. That's what he said. And I said to him, you can have it. Talk to me afterwards. And I talked with him. And I introduced him. I said, if you really want God... And what God has for you, here is a big tall man with a rather large nose who's married to a lady named Vicky and his name is Les. Go and live with him. And that young man did it. Now there are churches in Cameroon. Now there's a school in Cameroon. Now there's a hospital in Cameroon. And all of it began that way. Hallelujah. I have much people in this city. Amen. Amen. I have them. And Paul stays there 18 months, doesn't he? You can read it. I tell you, 
You know, it'll, it'll be good for us to, perhaps you can do this, go through the two letters of Corinthians and see how Paul describes his 18 months and what God did. What God did. Because he alludes on several occasions. I'll show you one of them to start you off. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Just one of them. And this is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And this is what happened. He describes it. Wonderful. Verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And this is what God did. In that 18 months as the church was born. Verse. Such were some of you. Verse 11. You were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified. In the name of of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's what happened at the birth of the church. People were washed. They were washed. And they were sanctified. You can see how upside down we get it in uh, some of our preaching because he puts justified last. You know, we put it first so often. He puts it last. God washed you people. And God sanctified. He he separated you from common use into sacred use. You are sacred people. Church is sacred. It is made up of people who are sanctified. They are sacred to God's use. Amen. Amen. You are sacred. You are called. One of the verses that Mark has prayed out Several times, he didn't do it today. But it's a verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
where it says that we have, God has called us into the fellowship of his son. He's called us into that fellowship. Not into the rawer fellowship or the uh, this fellowship or that for he's called us into fellowship with his son fellowship sharing oh fellowship in the spirit we'll come on to life in the spirit in the church in various ways in coming weeks if the Lord grants us opportunity but here you can see you were washed it's he's, it's got, you're right back there in the Old Testament aren't you you know those you know that young priest elect person of the priestly family and he comes to that that special age and he leaves growing tomatoes and he stops making marmalade and doing all the common things <laughs> that he would have done in the past and he makes his way to the tabernacle place and he presents himself because he's now of age. Amen. And the priests take him inside and they strip him naked and they wash him. They wash him. Moses did this to his own brother Aaron and the four sons of Aaron. Moses did it. Read your Bible. The mediator did the washing. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And when he comes to us, he washes us. He washes us from our sin and uncleanness. And it doesn't end there because, of course, we become clothed with holy garments clothed within it all happens in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God this is church this is real church this isn't me praying the sinner's prayer only this is the action of God who washes us washes us what a thing is washing it is wonderful when the Lord Jesus the mediator of the covenant washes us Moses the mediator of the old covenant washed his brother and washed his brother's sons so that they entered into the priesthood at the command of God Amen and having been stripped and washed, clothed with those magnificent garments, 
Garments of simplicity and garments of glory. You, you know that, don't you? You, you, you do know that the, uh, the priestly garments, especially the high priest garment, Aaron's, they were garments of simplicity. You know, garments of simplicity as well as garments of glory. There were some glorious garments with tinkling bells and gold and all sorts of jewels and so on. Amen. Amen. Be clothed with simplicity, brother. Be clothed with humility, church, that you may be clothed with glory. The two things go together, simplicity and glory. That's why you'll discover this strange, strange paradox in true men and women of God. On the one hand, they seem so naive, so simple, so trusting. They believe the best about everybody. So simple. But on the other hand, you know, there's a glory about them. There's, there's more to them that meets the eye. There's a, a depth. <laughs> Amen. You, can you imagine this? In Corinth, these, these people who had been, you were, you were, you were, some of them had been homosexuals and catamites. Some of them have been adulterers and this is the whole list of stuff that Paul just puts that sexual confusion in the list. That's where we should have it. In the list. It should be just one of the things in the list. Am I making sense? Of the things that he washes us from. Amen. Amen. Can you imagine? You, this is what you were like. I saw it happen to you. I saw God come to you. I saw the Lord Jesus wash you and make you a sacred person. And that way you were thoroughly justified. And God was thoroughly justified in sending his son because he's got you as the fruit of Calvary. Yes? And it was all done. What does it say? It was all done in the name of our Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. By the Spirit. Isn't it wonderful? A combined work of the Father, Son and Spirit. That's what salvation is. And it's an ongoing thing. And it's to do with washing and sanctification and justification so that you can stand as someone who's justified. Amen. Amen. All right. I'll, I'll quit for now. But, Amen. I've just started you off there. Have a a look through the, the letters and see because he's going to say something to you.
in chapter 11 of the second letter. And he's going to say, when I came to you, I espoused you as one to one husband, even to Christ. I brought you to Jesus. I know I did. Where are you gone, Corinthians? So it goes on. Church is wonderful, isn't it? Hey? Just thinking of these these things. Oh Lord Jesus, have your way with us. Yes, gather your people, Lord. Gather your people. Gather them in, in the context of the sifting that's going on in the virus times. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for virus times. I got excited when it came. I got excited. I got excited for the church. I got excited. I thought, thank you, Lord. You're upsetting all our best laid schemes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're going to make us look to you like never before. Lord, we've gotten into a rut. And you're, 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 you're coming to us. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. All right. Oh, dear Father, how wonderful to share these things, Lord, to be in a, in a room like this together. Oh, Lord. No preacher, no teacher, no prophet could ever say it like it should be said. Though we have the aid of your spirit, we still have the limitations of our own brains and utterances and vocabulary and, oh Lord, Oh Lord, will you please, will you please so quicken us by your Spirit, your wonderful Spirit. Oh, who moves and works in the name of Jesus. And only where Jesus is glorified only where Jesus is loved as your spirit work where Jesus is Lord your spirit is free to do what he wants to do oh Lord I pray for everyone in the room all of us Lord and our precious friends scattered around in this area, in Exeter and Newton and, uh, oh Lord, in Liverton and so many places, Lord, Morton, Hampstead, uh, you know, all the people, your people, your people, your people, call them out, Lord. Make us ready. Make us clear in our understandings. Clearer, clearer, clearer. 
those of us who are older in years, more, more, more. So glad for Abraham, Lord. He just kept on going. And that that man, Lord, who kept on walking with you, kept on and on and on. And then he was not. For God took him. Amen. Lord, pray for one another. We, we're here, Lord. We're here. Oh, Lord. Wonderful, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you.